report so we can get started. Very good. We're going live, and we are live for live stream number 93, and we've got an action-packed week this week with several other things that are going on, so I'm really quickly going to drop the link, all right, so you folks can check out all the other things we got going on the date on Kubernetes community. Um, obviously, like I said, there's a bunch of stuff going on this week. Most specifically, on Wednesday, we have the first DOK Students Day. We'll have over 25 different speakers that are all students. We'll have 30 speakers in total, around 25 that are students, many of whom will be giving talks for the first time, but all the talks are related to data on Kubernetes topics. And speaking of data on Kubernetes, I put the link earlier for Ionair, but our guest today, uh, Barack Nassim, works in Ionair. And if you go to their website, they couldn't make it clear that they are truly focused on data on, on running data on Kubernetes. Barack, welcome. Barack joins us today from, from Tel Aviv, Israel. Welcome to the Data on Kubernetes community. Very happy to hear you, uh, have you here with us. Can you just give us a little bit of background about yourself and about how you started working in Ionir and what Ionir is doing? Uh, perfect. Okay, so thank you very much for having having me around. It's It's been a pleasure even before going live, so it's a very good uh, discussion that we have. So my name is Barak. I've been in IT for almost 20 years now, although I might look a bit young, but I uh, started my way around, uh, um, you know, uh, um, services companies doing different projects for you know many flavors of, of customers if it's high tech if it's you know governmental and so on um, um, and my background is mostly around vmware you know which was 10 15 years ago that was whatever what was, was around was around vmware um, and and yeah i've been so i've been in vmware almost nine years um, and i've moved to INIR just uh, the start of this year so january 2021 um and 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 we we surf the kubernetes wave uh and we see a lot of customers that have shifted the way of let's say doing applications from virtualized environments toward um a more containerized environment and, and even more than that um, and we see a big trend right now also uh, uh of customers that are already running their, let's call it uh, ephemeral workloads on, on Kubernetes, but we see more and more customers, uh, you know, very hungry and very interested in running data on Kubernetes. And this is exactly why we're here. And this is exactly our solution. So we are, I'll do a quick couple of slides uh, in my session, but in general, um, we are uh, um, uh, um, persistent storage or software defined storage provider on top of Kubernetes. Of course, we are CSI compliant and we run uh, on top of the Kubernetes platform uh, and we are everything cloud native. So our application or our you know, uh, uh, data services are all uh, broken down to microservices. We are elastic, we are agile, we can run on-prem and on the cloud. So we kept the cloud native uh, um, theme going uh, uh, from end to end in means of what we do. So we are just another cloud native application the only difference is that we are uh, providing storage to other applications that are running uh, on these clusters. And be any you know data on Kubernetes flavors that you have, if it's databases, you know uh, observability tools, whatever mm -hmm. analytics, machine learning. So everything is is our play and it's our uh, um, um, let's say bread and butter. Um, and and that's that's about it. I think it's a good intro. We are based in Tel Aviv. The R and D offices are in Tel Aviv. Uh, and the, uh, we have a big branch of sales, marketing, and so on in the U.S., in New York specifically. So if you're in the area, uh, drop by and say hi. Um, and that's about it. Uh, that's a great intro. And, and I think it's also nice to see, you know, particularly in this case, a cloud-native, Kubernetes-native approach 
Uh, whereas other you know firms out there have kind of had to suffer through this transition of how do I break out of the old, move into the new? You know, Ironair, it sounds from the from the very from the very you know from the word go has been very very focused in this direction, which is which is nice to see, particularly in, in our data on Kubernetes space. That being said, uh, Brock, if you want to share your screen, we can jump right into it. Yeah. Just a reminder to folks in the audience: feel free to keep those questions coming, and um, we'll get them answered accordingly uh, as the pr uh, presentation proceeds. Yep. I think I need to share this screen or that screen. I'm not sure. Tell no worries. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> if you see the, the right screen or not, let me just verify. That okay. I do, uh, yep. Yeah. Got it. Do Perfect. Do you see the presenter? Do you see the. Uh... Oh, yeah. We see it in presentation mode. Yeah. Now, now, now we see it. Perfect. Now it's great. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So. Uh, so again, thank you very much for having me. So the topic that I um, chose for today is specifically around, I'll call it DevOps environment or CI/CD environments. It means of running dev and tests uh, uh, in a very Kubernetes aware mode. Uh, and we know a lot of customers are still running that on virtualized environment or using other services for that, but uh, we see the power of Kubernetes also for these kind of environments. Um, um, and, and of course, you know, DevOps have so many different flavors of definitions. Uh, you know, I'm not here to teach you about DevOps or what is DevOps. I think everyone has its own flavor, but in essence, you know, it's moving, you know, application faster, connecting between development and operations, making it easy for developers to build and test and release uh, their application. And of course, doing that in a very uh, you know, solid manner. So the less bugs, the more agile they can do it, you know, iterative mode and so on and so on. There's a lot of, you know, buzzwords around this DevOps space. Um, but in essence, when we talk about DevOps and how we look at, um, uh, uh, you know, where data plays part as in this kind of pipelines, we see it in a few different places. I picked the top five of them, uh, which we're also gonna talk a bit um, deeper uh, as we go forward. Um, I'll just stop on that, touch them very quickly. So it means of, uh, you know, uh, uh, where you want to scale your pipeline means of, you know, artifacts created or, you know, the development environment or where you do staging for your code and so on. Um, uh, that is part of the data that is running in your Kubernetes cluster. So other, you know, other flavors, each step or each stage is kind of ephemeral. It's running its own thing and it's pushing that, you know, outside of the Kubernetes space. And we would like to keep it inside of the Kubernetes space because we believe that you know, data is uh, as an integral component of the infrastructure like you know, security and like monitoring and the rest of the, uh, let's call it IT stack. Um, so there's no need to you know, uh, uh, send or remove the data from your Kubernetes cluster to uh, and offload the data to, Kubernetes, to other let's say components in your infrastructure, you can keep it inside of your Kubernetes cluster and that will give you great scaling and agility and so on and so on. Um, another point is about developer workspace. So we see you know, a lot of developers, even before building and testing, they have to write the code and do some you know, unit testing or basic testing of their code to make sure that what they push inside uh, you know, the code repository is something that is you know, at least past the validation or something like that. Um, 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 so we see also that step of the way in means of giving the developer 
Uh, it can be a copy, it can be a clone, it can be a remote access to a database, for example, to write his own code and validate his code. And then, you know, uh, uh, um, go on with his business and write the, the next piece of code or whatever. So there's a lot of agility that we need, uh, you know, data as part of that pipeline. It's not necessarily the pipeline, but the entire, you know, DevOps kind of uh, arena, let's call it. Also, uh, you know, uh, integration testing and, you know, staging and release candidates between different stages of the environment, uh, of, of the pipeline, sorry. And also a very important piece of it is also bringing back data from production that could be, for example, a database in your production environment and using that as a data set for your, uh, a test data set for your, uh, you know, uh, 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 testing or unit testing or QA environments. Instead of waiting hours or using like synthetic workloads, um, you can use, uh, you know, Kubernetes-powered data to, uh, uh, to actually provide that in a very fast and agile manner to all your developers or throughout your pipeline steps. That's a lot of words. I'm going to show you that in the demo that I have lined up uh, in the next couple of slides, but uh, we touched briefly about, you know, where data plays part um, uh, in this kind of uh, uh, environment. And, and, and actually, you know, we see that in a traditional DevOps environment, storage and databases are, uh, let's say, decoupled from the pipeline itself. So it's either uh, a completely different pipeline that manages versioning and cloning and creating or different set of components that are creating those databases for the CI/CD pipeline. Uh, uh, or, you know, it's just a completely different uh, IT resource or a silo, for example, you know, if you have to have like a DevOps team open tickets with, uh, you know, your storage team, you are not very DevOps or cloud native oriented. That's why uh, we believe we need to get back into uh, uh, putting data on top of Kubernetes. One thing really quickly, uh, Brock, we got a question from the audience. So yeah. with respect to your experience, could you please give some advice about which CI/CD tools are good to learn in order to advance as a, as a DevOps engineer? I work on, I work with Jenkins, but I don't know Groovy and I'm struggling to learn. Okay, so I think, so the world is pretty much, let's say divided. I can do a different talk about, you know, what I'm sure. CI/CD, yeah. yeah, tools are out there, but in general, a lot of customers, I think it was also reported in the latest uh, CNCF report, I think it was 2020 or 2021, that, you know, I think it was like 80 or close to 80% of customers' environments are, or CI environments are focused on uh, Jenkins. And this is because of legacy, you know, heavy lifting, a lot of code was written on Jenkins. And so it's, it reminds me of the, of the old world, let's call it, uh, but it's very easy. It's open source. Uh, scripting is a bit uh, a hassle there. There's a lot of plugins. Some of them are deprecated. Some of them are not updated at the, the good period of time. So it's not very solid. But there are a lot of companies that have commercialized that and made that a little bit more um, uh, easy to consume, let's say. Uh, but we see, you know, a lot of like cloud native uh, uh, solutions uh, that are born in the cloud, let's say, that are more oriented towards. Kubernetes as the platform for the CI/CD, and these tools like uh, uh, you know Tekton or CircleCI. Uh, we see uh, um, uh, also Tekton, uh, uh, CircleCI, you know Algo CD, Spinnaker a bit, uh, and there's a different. Um, I think these are the top names. I think here and there, um, but there is a section in the CNCF report about the top 
um, you know, install-based kind of for those tools. Uh, so you can read about that there, but that, those are the top ones. Uh, uh, all of them are, you know, um, oriented throughout the same concept and the same, um, let's call it like metaphors of steps and stages and doing, uh, doing like operations as code and, and you know, uh, pipeline as code. All of them are aligned to that. Uh, of course, you know, uh, I didn't mention GitOps as part of it, a part of the big, of, uh, of the big names that are uh, players in this environment. Uh, but all of them have the same concepts of, you know, running things in steps. Uh, but the idea is that, or, or let's say the, the purpose of this talk is we ha I haven't found at least um, a solution that takes data as a first-class citizen of those pipelines. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and we see that throughout all the flavors of, 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 of uh, you know, tools that I mentioned, and we see the value of introducing, you know, so Kubernetes has been the platform for a lot of innovation, a lot of, you know, new concepts and paradigm shifts that we see in security, in monitoring and observability logs, whatever, there's a lot of players there, but data um, has, has a little bit stepped behind the other arenas or the other providers in that space. So we believe that data is, uh, should be as part of, you know, uh, uh, of your Kubernetes environment. It needs to be consumed by Kubernetes. It needs to be a resource within Kubernetes. Uh, and, and you should operate that the same way you operate your pods, your firewalls, whatever, you know, your Istio deployments should be able to do the same operations uh, with a DevOps you know, state of mind also for your data. And I'll talk about it uh, a little bit later. Um, Perfect. Is, is it a good enough? I tried oh, to- Oh, no, uh, definitely, definitely. Enough, enough. No, no, I think, I think it's a great answer. Yeah. And also because, you know, I, I understand and I respect that you, you know, talking about different options because it can become a very thorny issue. Like I always give this example that in a company that I worked at several years ago, the battle between engineers regarding whether or not we should be using Team City or Jenkins got so ugly that some people nearly quit the company. Like, and so I, I say people can <laughs> yeah. get very passionate about their tools, but there's a nice overview. So thank you. Yeah, I think, I think that uh, um, it's very, uh, uh, um, you know, the entire Kubernetes space is very uh, uh, emotional. Let's say a lot of people really like some things. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, variety for solutions. And I think, uh, I think it's a good thing because I think, the best will prevail and that will survive and be the you know, de facto, let's say, uh, um, standout as we go forward. But I think there's a lot of innovation coming. So that's, that's why I think this ecosystem is very, is very important. So the more the merrier from my side. Mm -hmm. Okay, so th this is other things that we talked about, you know, scaling uh, uh, your CI, CD solution, uh, you know, incremental builds is something that we see uh, with some customers that, you know, you have to sometimes step back and roll back to a specific point in time in your pipeline that something has crashed or something has errored and you cannot go forward. And instead of completely rebuilding the entire 100 microservices that you have in the environment, you can, uh, you know, you can rebuild or you can, let's say, uh, circle back to a specific point in time uh, and, you know, use that as a baseline for your next iterative, uh, you know, build in your environment. Um, and of course, as we see Kubernetes as the platform for, you know, everything right now is, if we talk, looked about, you know, five years or uh, a bit uh, around that time, Kubernetes was mostly around, you know, DevOps or dev test environment, but we see that fully in production now. 
uh, and we see customers running, you know, three or four different environments for different, you know, roles uh, or different operations in their environment. So they need, you know, QA and, and dev test and unit testing. Uh, and, and I have a slide on that as well. Um, uh, so this, you know, this segmentation of environment is also very limiting when you're running your, uh, uh, you know, your pipeline because you have to move data also between those clusters. Um, and it's very limiting with the basic, uh, you know, uh, uh, features that you, you have from, you know, from Kubernetes. So there's no data agility as part of Kubernetes today. Although features are coming more and more, but today that's not the situation. Um, and as I said, we believe that Kubernetes data are, should be operated together. It should not be siloed as external appliance or, or you know, an external service that you're consuming. It's part of your infrastructure. And this should be, you know, you should be easily provisioning data uh, uh, like a developer and not as a storage admin, let's call it. Uh, and those are the top things. So as I mentioned, you know, this is our, uh, uh, this is our belief that, you know, that we need a, a container or a, a Kubernetes storage platform to be part of all of these environments uh, in the uh, um, in the in, in the DevOps pipeline, right? Okay, so I'm gonna. That's the high level intro of of, of it. I want to uh, briefly touch about what is Ionir, where we play part. Uh, you know, in this kind of environment. So I did a quick intro before, but in essence, Ionia, we are a Kubernetes native software-defined data services platform. And we have a lot of unique, uh, you know, data management capabilities, uh, you know, a part of being completely microservice pods running on top of Kubernetes. Everything is driven by APIs. Whatever you want to do in the system, you can do it automatically with scripts or with API calls, uh, but we're also an enterprise class storage. That means we do have global inline deduplication. We have instant clones, we have instant restore, uh, restore and we have continuous data protection as part of it. Uh, and also we have automated tiering as part of our solution as well. And what are these uh, you know, very unique solutions? So uh, we have, so I, I picked like two that are the most important or the pieces that I talked about uh, this talk is we can move any volume or we can move any persistent data uh, in the Kubernetes space between space and between time. What it means that we can move any persistent volume between any uh, um, you know, Kubernetes cluster, let's say from New York to Dublin within 40 seconds, no matter what's the distance and no matter what's the size of that persistent volume, we can move it under 40 seconds. Uh, and I'll show you a quick um, uh, um, implementation of that, uh, how it looks like in a, you know, in, a, in a DevOps pipeline in a second. And the second capability that is very uh, uh, you know, important in our production, in our solution, is the ability to move any persistent volume or any data across time. So we have a one second granularity uh, let's call it a metadata of, of any volume in a one second you know, uh, space. And you can roll back and clone and, and create uh, uh, you know, volumes to any point in time that you would like in a one second granularity. And why that's important? Because if you're running a pipeline that takes an hour or takes four hours or even a day, 
you need that pinpointing and you need that uh, you know, way of specifying to which specific point in time you wanna go back to and reshuffle your pipeline uh, you know, uh, stages and scripts and whatever. Uh, these are the two ones. And I really wanna uh, um, jump quickly to the demos because I am trying to uh, be true to time a bit. Um, so I've lined up two uh, important demos. You know what? Before the demos, any questions about what I touched or um, mentioned here? No, everything looks everything. So yeah. Perfect. So one more image before the uh, demo, so we have time for that. Um, so this is how we see you know, a typical DevOps pipeline. You might have the same steps. You might have different steps. You might have you know, a different combination or flow. Uh, but this is, for example, the left side of, of, of the slide is what we got from a specific um, uh, CI tool provider. He gave that as you know, what their customers are experiencing in means of moving data between stages that can be you know databases or whatever data that is part of your pipeline artifacts whatever and we see that it takes hours to move between your environments uh, and moving between environments could be different kubernetes clusters it can be on, on the same environment or the same cloud provider it can be different namespaces within the same kubernetes cluster it can be you know on-prem in a cloud uh, uh, as part of your uh, uh, you know your entire uh, ecosystem of of operations, so we can have. So we have, let's say, for example, a customer that runs his builds uh, or his builds-oriented steps on-prem, but testing he runs on the cloud. And then the 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 heavy lifting of moving the entire data to the cloud is something that's very limiting him in means of running forward. Uh, and with Ioneer, we talked about it. Everything is a is a you know a forty seconds away or even one second away. So if it's within the Kubernetes cluster, it's one second. If it's between Kubernetes clusters, again, no matter what size or distance, it's 40 seconds. So we are bridging that gap in a very uh, solid way. So for the demos, um, I prepared two demos. One of it is, so, uh, is around, I tried to make a very nice illustration. I'm not that good of a graphic designer, but I try to build that, that it makes more sense of what you're seeing in about a second. Uh, so this demo that we have is we have a, a Jenkins, which is our CI automation tool for the purpose of this demo that is actually installed and running on top of Kubernetes, Kubernetes itself. Uh, and you'll see that in a second. And it runs uh, a basic build and test uh, pipeline that is actually doing a git pool of a project that can be a, you know, uh, my demo is just about a few megs, but your git repo can be, you know, uh, a very a very heavy lifting or very data uh, um, uh, specific or, or sensitive operation in a lot, of, in a lot of, our, of our customers. You have to, you know, check out an entire uh, code for your environment. And then we are cloning that for all the pods that are created in, in an automated way on top of Kubernetes. And of course, all these operations will be a one second uh, uh, or even like instantaneous copies uh, at the speed of Kubernetes. And you will see that the storage piece is also you know, operated at the same level or the same uh, concept. So that's the first demo. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll switch to that so we don't mix up uh, too much. Okay, so 
Perfect. So this is our Ioneer uh, uh, cluster. Um, uh, we have two clusters here. One is my DevOps environment. The second one is at my production environment. This one is for the second demo that I will show you. Uh, but for this demo, we're just going to look at the DevOps environment. And we have our Jenkins deployment, like I mentioned. And there's a few already volumes pre-provisioned here for our consumption. So the demo, what it does is actually, this is our demo. And of course I need to log in. And this is our demo right now. So uh, the first demo is about parallel build and test. And this is what actually it will do is, as I mentioned, it will download and do a checkout of a Git repo that is just for as a dummy repo for now. And we'll create clones and we'll create uh, uh, pods to run uh, 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 build and test scenarios that are pre-configured in those jobs. So you can see I have three jobs here and that's the scale that I chose for this demo. But in essence, you can have five or 10 or 20, you know, uh, uh, different uh, uh, downstream jobs that do its own, you know, whatever branch or feature or whatever different part of your code that you wanna uh, build and test. Um, and let's, uh, let's quickly just run it. So I have my, uh, um, this is my Kubernetes cluster in the background. You can see I have my, uh, my Jenkins pod here in a second, right? And uh, we also have our uh, PVC that are pre-configured. And what I'm gonna do now is actually launch this job. And I'll walk you through what it does in essence. This is just parameters to, uh, to make it more easy to consume and run. Perfect, so the job is running right now, we'll go the console output and we'll see what actually happening. So Jenkins talks to the Kubernetes platform. It requests a new pod. You will see this pod gets created pretty quickly. You see it's already started the creation. This pod will just do a git pull uh, for our you know, public repo of a specific project. That'll take a few seconds. And once it's done, you can see the content is already here. And it's created three clones. So if I go to, uh, uh, to my environment, I can see I have three clones created from this volume, all instantaneously within the same namespace for this example. And then my downstream jobs are starting to run in the backend. So if I do another get PVC, you will see those, those PVs and PVCs are already bounded and consumed. And now each downstream job is actually running its own thing, right? So uh, one, one job can be, you know, uh, you know uh, compiling and testing the backend system. The second job can be the front end and the third job can be whatever, you know, uh, app services that you have in your environment. And they're all doing that in parallel. And as I mentioned before, it's all deduped and it's all compressed in means of, uh, you know, uh, of your data footprint, let's call it. So that actually you can scale as much as you want, as much as you have resources um, uh, and really enjoy the power of Kubernetes. And of course that can be on-prem or in the cloud or wherever, uh, uh, or wherever you wanna actually run your test jobs. Uh, okay, we got, we, got, we got a question. Um, yeah. How did you bootstrap or create the initial Kubernetes cluster? So this, for this example, the Kubernetes cluster is very vanilla. It's a KubeADM cluster. Uh, it's three nodes. I can show you that. 
with three nodes that are on top of AWS for that matter. Uh, and this is how we, uh, um, and this is how, this is where we install Ioneer in means of grabbing all the local disk and all the local medias and actually, you know, forming that into a pool of storage or to a software defined storage and, uh, and give that uh, uh, to the pods to consume, right? And we can see that the uh, jobs have finished. They're all finished successfully. For example, we can see that test job three, um, you know, did some tests and that's about time that it took it. So you can break it down to whatever, you know, uh, um, granularity or resolution that you want. You can have, you know, multiple different uh, jobs uh, doing different operations and correlate all in the end. But what's important about this and specifically in this demo is that although that the pods are uh, away and clean and my Kubernetes cluster again is very uh, clean, let's call it, I still have the data if I want to do, you know, uh, incremental test, if I want to go back to this point in time and see, you know, what my artifact looks like, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, uh, data did I have there? I have this already lined up here, ready for me to consume. So I can run a different job that goes in, manipulate the data and closes that uh, data uh, for later use as well. So because it's all dedupe, we don't care about it. it. It can live in the system. You're only paying for your deltas that you, uh, uh, you provision on top of that storage system, for example. Uh, follow okay. Follow-up question to that. Um, did you use CloudFormation or Terraform? No, this is, the entire setup is, so I wanted to make it as vanilla or low level, let's call it, for everybody to understand. There's no magic in the back end. It's all Jenkins. Uh, I'm using specifically uh, uh, the Kubernetes plugin that you can configure to connect to a specific, uh, you know, Kubernetes backend cloud. We call it like a cloud node, I think. And you just give it the kubeconfig specifically for your cloud. You few clicks of a button, and you have that lineup. I actually have a document uh, uh, for rebuilding this environment. Uh, that is in the works. It's about to be released, I think, in the next couple of days, uh, hopefully before KubeCon. Uh, if you're interested in that, you know, send me, uh, send me uh, uh, an email or through a bot or whatever. I'm happily sharing that to everyone. You can experience that. You can make it better. You can, uh, you know, laugh at the way that I'm writing my code. I'm, I'm all open for feedback. So, um, very happy to uh, collaborate on that if, if, if you're interested. Awesome. Good. Perfect. Uh, and the second demo, I'll roll back quickly to our deck, is the second story that I talked about, you know, bringing production data into your DevOps environment and doing, you know, whatever uh, build and test or whatever, you know, code that you want to run on your, uh, on your real data environment. So you don't have to, so the alternatives of customers doing that is Either they're creating like a small data set that is not representing, you know, the real environment or, you know, they have like synthetic environments or, you know, data pumping uh, uh, specific or subset of the data to, to production, because, to, to, the, to the DevOps pipeline because it takes too much time, because it takes too much effort and, you know, and resources, they choose to limit uh, uh, the way that they introduce data into their pipelines. So what we want to show here is the same kind of uh, uh, flow, but the only different uh, po uh, point here is that we are actually bringing uh, uh, a MongoDB from our production cluster 
in 40 seconds to our DevOps cluster and then running different jobs uh, uh, um, all across or talking to that database. Uh, and I'll show you that in a second. Perfect, so uh, let's roll back. So if I go back to my, uh, to my production environment, you can see I have a MongoDB here. And this Mongo, you know, has a PV of about 50 gig. We'll use it much less than that. Um, so if I go, this is my production environment. I'm in the Mongo namespace. Um, and if I wanna go quickly to, uh, um, to my Mongo pod, just to show you that there is real data in there. Right, so we have uh, uh, an 11 gigabyte database here. Uh, it has different, uh, um, you know, mock-up data about you know mortgages in the U.S. If you're interested, I can run a query, but let's leave it like this for now. Um, and what I'm going to do is, as I mentioned, I'm going to run the job, and this I will actually create uh, what we call a teleport, which is actually you know. Uh, um, I'm making a persistent volume from cluster A to cluster B available under 40 seconds. And you'll see that in a second. And again, it will create uh, a three uh, uh, downstream jobs for you know, uh, creating the MongoDB for each developer, for example, and giving it a pod with Mongo client and we'll run a quick query across that database. Uh, and you will see that under 40 seconds, you get access to real production data uh, uh, throughout the environment. So let's 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 run it, and I'll do a quick uh, you know uh, talk over to make sense into what you're seeing. Again, this is parameters to make it more scalable and easy to consume. And I'm building it right now. Again, so if I go to the output, I see that it's all operated from you know. Uh, um, Jenkins, I have a teleporter pod that I created. It's just, you know, for talking to the remote cluster. You see, this is our, you know, I chose to do it with curl. You can do it whatever. We have an Ionius CTL uh, tool as well. Uh, and what you can see in the background is actually, let's start with the uh, uh, namespaces. So I created the namespace per job. And this is for, you know, if it's for a different developer, if it's a different environment, we wanna have some kind of a, you know, a segregation between the environments. So let's dive into a specific namespace. And you can see that we already have the MongoDB PV here. So we are allowing 40 seconds for our magic things to happen in the background. And after these 40 seconds, you will see the rest of the pipeline goes and means of you know, of steps and all the, uh, you know, uh, um, downstream job that we have here. So we have it already running. The, the downstream jobs are actually creating the MongoDB. Take a second. Let's jump into one to see the operation. Perfect. Just, just fetching a basic Mongo setup from our GitHub. Perfect. And we have the MongoDB here and the uh, job that is actually running the query is gonna run in a second, but uh, some connection failed. Uh, let's see what the problem is. So this actually demo failed, which is a good thing. Um, let's see the other ones around. 
sorry. All of them fail for some connection issues. I can check it later, but if you wanna, if you don't believe me and you wanna see this in real life action, uh, uh, you can see you can see that in uh, in uh, in. Um, I'm sorry for that. Let's see it for a second again. Yeah, because because my my Mongo took too much time to to start and then the jobs failed. If I run the job again, you can see that very easily. I'll just run the downstream job. That it actually does the same operation. Now the MongoDB is, is there. I should have allowed more than five seconds for Mongo to really start. I should change my demo to be more, uh, um, let's say, uh, time allowing. And you can see this is the queries against the, uh, against the MongoDB um, database from production. So it all happened pretty quickly. I had a hiccup there with the timing. I will change that in my demo, but in essence, you see the high, how I, uh, um, how I introduced a Mongo workload and run some tests and, and you know, different uh, um, operations on that um, production database. And of course it's a clone, it's not the real database, whatever I break here, uh, I will not impact or change uh, you know, the experience in the production environment. Solid, we got another question. Can you also explain how to analyze issues in Jenkins? I understand it takes place from the console output. Most of the time yeah. I understand if there are any dependencies missing, I tell my developer to look in, but it's still not the perfect solution. So it, there's a lot of uh, handholding you need to do for your Jenkins environment. Um, in essence, it really depends on where the error is. There's a lot of you know, places that you can go wrong. It can be your own code. It can be, you know, dependencies like you mentioned. It can be, you know, external uh, resources that are you are dependent on. It can be network. It can be configuration. So it's very, it's a very uh, uh, hands-on environment. I'm not aware of a pipeline analyzer or a recommender tool, uh, but I can double check if that's interesting uh, enough to, uh, you know, to uh, to check afterwards. Very good. As a, for everyone just to know, you know, Brock is very accessible in our Slack as well as through LinkedIn, or if you want to get in touch, yeah. just contact me. So very easy to set up. That's a good call out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, 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 that's about it. What I wanted to share with you. I know it was pretty quick, hopefully. No, but very, uh, but to... very practical, but very practical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's Sorry. also nice. I think it's also nice of you to say as a professional that you realize that there are some things in your own demo that you're going to adjust. I think that's, I think that's cool too. Yeah, yeah. And we are agile, right? So we, nothing is set in stone. If you want to see something specifically, I'm happy, you know, to invest some time with you or you can take my guide and do whatever you want and do a better demo yourself. Yeah. You're all invited uh, uh, to it. I just left the points out on the screen. If there's uh, any questions or, you know, this is my closing statement. You know, we, I think we all here are sharing the same, uh, you know, passion and, 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 and understanding that we need to bring Kubernetes and data closer together uh, and actually operate at the same level. So as you saw, I used only, you know, Kubernetes uh, uh, um, commands and, and, and views and whatever. Nothing is, you know, a different silo. I didn't have to call anyone to get my volume created or whatever. Uh, so those are the, you know, the motives that we have uh, um, uh, in the product as well. No, I think it's really nice too, because 
to, to be honest, you know, we've, this is live stream number 93. So we've seen a lot of different things, but something so practical and so direct um, and really putting the practitioner, you know, at the center. I think that's, it's, it's very, very nice. And I want to say even refreshing to see that. Um, sometimes things can get a little bit too theoretical about, well, maybe if this particular thing happened, happened, but like I said, this is really, really hands-on. Just really quickly, as you said, moving data and Kubernetes closer to each other. I'm going to steal that from you, actually. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, very often we talk about, you know, the challenges of running data on Kubernetes. Is Kubernetes, would you say that Kubernetes is ready for data? And if so, what do you think can make it even more ready? What are the things that need to happen for these processes to become streamlined, normalized, and commonly accepted? I think in general, I can, uh, you know, let's say, uh, divided to three. One, I think uh, uh, the market, you know, the macro level, the market will do its thing. I, I really, so I've been with VMware from, you know, from uh, uh, very early days. I think my first cluster was 2005 or something like oh, that wow. that I installed or six or something like that. Uh, and I saw that transition that is very similar to what Kubernetes is experiencing in the past couple of years. It took almost like five or six years before people really took VMware as a platform or virtualization as a platform for databases, for production workloads, for whatnot. And, and after five or six years, you know, that was de facto, you know, the, uh, uh, the platform uh, uh, of choice, right? So you have to really have a very good explanation why you want a physical server rather than a VM. Uh, and that enabled a lot of innovation with cloud and services and, and you know, high-tech companies bringing value for customers and so on and so on. So I see the same transition with Kubernetes as well. Mm -hmm. It started as a, you know, a nice thing that developers use on top of their maybe Minikube or whatever. Uh, and Docker was you know, the platform for making it happen, but there was no real market adopt adoption, let's say the first couple of years or so. Um, and I think it will be even a faster revolution with Kubernetes as well. So I think in a couple of years, you no, know, you will have to explain, you know, why you want to run your workloads on a VM and not on a pod for, for that assets, right? Um, uh, so that's the, the macro of it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, internally within Kubernetes, I think uh, uh, we as a community also need to drive uh, um, um, content and, you know, best practices uh, and making people understand that data should be on Kubernetes is not something externally. Because yeah. again, it's part of your platform, um, um, and and as we drive things forward, and there's more, you know, collateral and IP and guides and blogs and whatever, putting data on Kubernetes that will make inertia and make things move forward. So we have a big part of that as well, um, and of course we. If the third thing is we need to have a good uh, storage solution that is part of Kubernetes. So there's a different forces in the market right now talking about you know using other services i'll call it like that for your data environments or your data workloads uh, but i am a big believer of of unification and bringing it all together uh, and, and not creating silos because silos create you know bureaucracy it creates slowness it creates complexity it creates you know like a, a spoof expert that only know a specific you know uh, uh, liver in a specific product and you need to have like a more architecture infrastructure look of things um uh and and you know we see that with networking mm -hmm. 
it's it's like synonym with Kubernetes. You have the whole Istio networking, whatever, CNI's environment. You have the same in security. We see a lot of boom around security in Kubernetes. The same for FinOps. There are now companies that know how to build pods, how to you know give you a specific you know financial uh, uh, um, uh, lookage at your environment based on a label of a specific Kubernetes workload, for example. So we see a lot of things coming together. Uh, um, this is my kind of, uh, you know, uh, approach to things. No, but I think, I think it's a really nice one. And having seen the evolution that you saw, like you said, going back, you know, to 2005, seeing the, the evolution of, of, you know, VMs and where we're at now, like you said, in, in you know, two years, it, it won't sound crazy at all to say like, well, of course I'm running my data on Kubernetes. Right now we understand it's early days, which is why we're, we're creating all this content, bringing folks together, trying to get these exactly. best practices established. Um, but I, whether it's this technology or any other, there is this period of time of adoption, of experimentation. But then eventually, like you said, the, the Kubernetes wave that, you know, Ioneer and others are surfing is a very strong one that continues to grow every day. Um, and it gives us confidence to see that um, folks such as, you, as, as yourself that have been in other environments are seeing this now. And I completely agree with what you're saying about the siloing. Um, silos, I think, sometimes are a form of job protection. Uh, that's another talk for another day. <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, but I think it's, it's healthy that there can be distributed knowledge in organizations to have uh, more stakeholders participating and avoiding those kind of silos, like you said, of very specific specialization in one area at the expense of a lot of others. Um, so I think those are great points. We got some folks that, that are going to reach out to you in Slack uh, to ask some further questions. Um, so that's very, very nice that we were able to stimulate that kind of interest. If I can get you to, sh uh, to stop sharing your screen really quickly. Sure. As usual, we have our tradition in the data on Kubernetes community that every time we have a speaker, we have our artist who's lurking in the shadows. Let me know when you can see my screen. Um, so Angel did this and, and normally our, our live streams are a little bit longer. So he has more time. But this time he was very, very focused getting the, the racetrack of uh, CICV pipelines going. Love it. But, but anyway, Brock, this was a very good live stream. I thank you very much for your time. I'm very excited about the questions that we got going. Folks, please take advantage. Jump in Slack right now. If you want to continue the conversation, reach out to Barack. He's very accessible. If not there, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, et cetera. Definitely check out Ioneer. You're going to be hearing and seeing more about them. We're very happy to have them yeah. as well in our community as a sponsor. Um, so looking forward to, to more content with you, Barack. And take care in the meantime. Perfect. Just a very short yes. call out. We are at KubeCon. Come visit us. In our booth, if you're interested in meeting myself and the other uh, colleagues from Ioneer, the more invited, I think it's SU35 is our booth. Uh, just come around. We have some nice swags and, uh, you know, uh, whatever you need to have, you know, KubeCon uh, experience. Get those swags. Check it out. <laughs> if, you, if you, if for whatever reason, if you're not sure about the booth, just go online. They'll have everything listed. Um, yeah. Definitely stop by. Definitely stop by. I will be stopping by. So I will okay. see you then. See you there. Take it easy.